One Hope Church. All right, good morning. Welcome to everybody here in the parking lot and uh, those joining us online this morning. We're glad you're here uh, with us. Um, Last week, we finished uh, the Gospel of John and the story kind of um, concludes or like the conclusion has to do with Peter's restoration. Remember, he had denied Jesus um, in the night of his betrayal by um, the fire where he was warming himself as he had gotten into the um, courtyard. And then um, it's by a fire that Jesus restored him um, by the Sea of Galilee in the morning when they were Jesus had made a fire and had cooked um, some fish. Now, what's really interesting is there's different words um, in the Greek um, for fire, but John specifically, and he's the only gospel writer that does this, for the night of the betrayal, he describes it as a, a charcoal fire. And then he describes the fire at Peter's restoration as a charcoal fire. And the only time you get another word that's even close to that is in in the book of, of Romans. But that's, um, but that's it. It's just you know there's lots of words for fire, but that specific charcoal fire is used there at Peter's failure and at his restoration. I think that's for a a purpose. Um, so every time you know the world or the enemy or Peter's own flesh would remind him of his failure by that charcoal fire the night that Jesus was betrayed he'd also be reminded of a different fire another charcoal fire where he was restored by the Lord God is good and God is gracious um, to us and maybe this morning you need some restoration um, and and I think that ties in to you know kind of just a, a basic sometimes we got to go back to the beginning we got to go back and remember um, you know, how we got here in the first place. And so we're going to study, our next book of study is going to be the book of Genesis. Um, so we're going through the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 this morning. So if you have your your, your Bible and um, print or electronic form this morning, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to um, read the scripture there. Uh, but going back to the beginning, how did we get here um, in the first place, and if we don't have, if you don't have a clear understanding of of where you started, then it's going to be pretty hard to understand how how you are where you are today and where you're headed. You know, so we want to go back to the beginning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And so, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your Word, dear God, that you have given to us. Please use it to form us, shape us, mold us, and to we would understand um, the reality of our world and the reality of you and the reality of us as we, as we should, as is real. Um, and so, Lord, help us towards that end. We do pray that our hearts would be bent towards you today, that our minds would have understanding, that we would um, seek you, dear God. We thank you for your love and your grace displayed to us as you sent 
our Savior and King Jesus to the cross on our behalf. And Jesus, it's in your precious name that we pray these things and ask these things. Amen. So Genesis chapter 1, we'll read um, Genesis 1, um, chapter chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. Bear with me just as we read that. Please read that along with me this morning. Um, we'll make a few comments on it. Uh, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament and firmament from the waters which were above the firmament and was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass and the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so, and the earth brought forth grass and the herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields seed, yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the le lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the waters and the seeds. And let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind. Cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful 
and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and morning were the sixth day. Chapter 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Amen. Beautiful, poetic, um, truthful (laughs) scripture that we have before us this morning. And back in verse 1, just remember it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we're told that God made, you know, how God made his creation. And we're also told that on the sixth day, he made, you know, human beings and he made us in his image. These things, folks, are are vitally important for us to understand in terms of where we came from. Now, we understand, I think everybody understands who hears this message, that, you know, people have different ideas and different theories um, about our origins, where we came from. And I want us to be very clear that there are, there are serious implications on our understanding of this subject, more serious than I think oftentimes people realize. Serious implications. Because there's another view, and in this view, um, you know, just, just to give a couple of views. So we, you know, you have one view that there is a God who created and who created, you know, very directly. You know, there's another view that says there is no God, that we are here by time and chance. And some, we'll talk about this a little bit more, some um, other things that we haven't figured out yet, but that's how we're here. And then there are some who, you know, kind of want, want to blend and say, well, um, part of the evolutionary stuff is true, but it's God who is behind that, a, a theistic um, evolution. Okay. What I'm most concerned about, first of all, is that we as followers of, of Jesus... And, and I think whether a person is a follower of Jesus or not, that this is something to wrestle with is, you know, are we here by chance or are we here by design? Are we here by chance or are we here by design? So even a person who hasn't, you know, believed in Jesus that, 
you know, they've been sinful and that Jesus died for them on the cross and rose from the dead. They still need to wrestle with this first basic question. Sometimes it's the wrestling of this basic question that, you know, you kind of got to go back to the beginnings first. Am I here by chance or am I here by design? Because if I'm here by chance, well, none of that other stuff you're talking about, about Jesus really matters so much. But if I'm here by design, now I need to figure out what my purpose is in that design. So here by chance or here by design. If you're going to claim any sort of faith in the God of Scripture, you at minimum have to pick design over chance. You minimal have to pick design over chance. And you also have to pick that God made humans unique and distinct, made humans unique and distinct in his creation. If you don't have those two things, then the rest of the whole story doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Like, I mean, seriously, all the way through, it doesn't make, it just, it just kind of like hits a hard stop in Genesis chapter one and falls apart. If you don't believe that we're here by design and that humans are made distinct in God's creation, you at minimal have to take that literally and and true, even if you want to, you know, do some things with the lengths of days and have certain a certain level of evolutionary process in there. Again, at very, very minimal, you have to have design. And you have to have God making human beings distinct in his creation um, that we are made in the image of God. Those are the, like, you, you, you can't reduce it any more than that, folks. You just can't. The whole rest of the story just falls apart if you do that, if you go beyond that. But I want to talk just for a minute today about... What we're talking about, you know, today and in, in, in so many issues going around, so many conversations about, um, and I'm going to use, I don't think a lot of these terms are used correctly, but, you know, from a biblical perspective, but we're going to, you know, try to have some common ground here in, in terms of how we talk about this a little bit, but in terms of, of race, in terms of um, social justice, in terms of economic justice, in terms of all these issues of justice that are being debated today. I, I want us to consider what we're talking about this morning in that light. If the evolutionists are correct, the ones who say there is no God, we're here by you know, time and chance, that after the Big Bang there was matter and Antimatter and things slightly balanced in the favor of matter, and that's where everything you know comes from. Again, now we're still even even there, given a lot of freebies. Like, how did you get the conditions initially necessary for this Big Bang? Um, and and the, the the key when you're having that conversation with somebody who is you know we are here by you know random chance and believe that science can just tell them all the answers to that you, you just you need to ask questions and the question that you need to keep asking is and what happened before that and what happened before that 
And what happened before that? And what happened before that? Because what you end up with is an infinite regression. And you'll come, you'll hopefully come to a point where at least a person is honest enough to say, I don't know. And so the reality then is a person either believes in an infinite God or in an infinite regression of time, chance, and I don't know. Okay? Now, a person can take that choice, right? A person can take the choice and say, I'm going to pick, I'm going to believe in time, chance, and I don't knows. An infinite amount of time, chance, and I don't knows over an infinite God. Now, both of those take faith. My argument is just that it takes more faith to believe in an infinite time, chance, and I don't knows than it does to believe in an infinite God. They're actually, I think, asking for a greater amount of faith. Which is kind of an interesting way to look at it. I'm certainly inclined to believe in an infinite God over an infinite regression of time, chance, and unknowns. But back to those implications for a moment. Let's just suppose for a moment that the atheistic evolution is is the right answer. What would is the you know is the truth? What would the implications of that be when we are talking about these issues of race, ethnicity, economics, power structures, what would the implications be? Well, folks, if there is no God, then we are not made in God's image, and we are just, the, you know, we don't have spirits, we don't have anything eternal about us, we are just a collection of atoms, we're just, we are just matter. Folks, if we are just matter, then your ethics and morality don't matter. You get what I'm saying? If we are just matter, ethics and morality don't matter. Because in absolute terms, who could say that it is right or wrong for one collection of atoms to do something to another collection of atoms, even to turn that collection of atoms back into the atoms that it came from? Who is to say if we are just a collection of atoms and there's another collection of atoms over there that to murder those atoms there actually isn't any such thing as murder because that's a moral term. It would just be transforming those atoms. Atoms, you see, they'll go back into the ground and they'll transform and you know be back part of the universal system again, right? So, what difference does it make? What shape or form this matter that got here by random chance takes or is then turned into at any point in time? There's no basis there 
from which to say anything is objectively, absolutely right or wrong. At that point, perhaps for pragmatic self-preservation, people may agree, okay, we like these atoms, we like these various collections of atoms, and so we want to protect those. Not so worried about this various collection of atoms over here. You know, humans have done that, right? These atoms look like this collection of atoms over here looks like my collection of atoms. And so I'm going to take care of things that look like my collection of atoms, and I'm not so worried about the ones that don't look like my collection of atoms. Again, from a absolute moral objective perspective, if evolution, atheistic evolution is correct, how could you argue with that? And then at various times, people might say, well, you see, that collection of atoms that's different than our collection of atoms, well, it would be mutually beneficial if we all treated each other better, again, using moral terms to describe things that are amoral, if that system is correct. But again, it's just pragmatic. It's just pragmatic. And, it, and it, it'll change back and forth depending on the, on the generation. It'll go back and forth. It's not absolutely right or wrong. We have to be really, we have to have a firm understanding of this. And when we're dealing with people, you know, when you're talking with people who, who don't believe in God, but yet are, you know, saying a certain thing is just or unjust, those are great opportunities to ask questions. On what basis is it just or unjust? If we're just matter, why does it matter? See, the bottom line, folks, is if Darwin was correct, no lives matter. See, if Darwin is correct, no lives matter. And, and understand this, his view of what people call, you know, the races was based on his understanding of his, you know, evolutionary biology. So you can read, if you read Darwin, you see very clearly that he thought that those who were, you know, European descent were of a superior race. And then the big problem was, how were these, how is a superior race going to, going to treat the inferior races? You see, if you, if you believe in evolutionary biology, Darwin is consistent and he makes sense, like it informs his political viewpoint 
it, it, it works with his moral understanding of things. But be, you know, because he doesn't have human beings having a common origin, in the, in the biblical sense, he naturally looks at different groups and assigns different levels of value. Of course, it would be that the highest value would be to those whose collections of atoms look most closely to his own. So he's going to see through that lens of himself as what is superior and what is inferior. You see, folks, and I hope that this doesn't come across as controversial this morning, but it really should. When we go back to the Word of God, you see, we don't have to. We don't have to come up with a new thing and just go all of a sudden. Well, now, you know, certain lives. You know, these lives matter, or these lives don't matter. See, because we have back in the Book of Genesis that God made us in His image, and therefore every single human being carries forth an intrinsic value. Now, let me be very, very, very clear, because I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying this, this morning. Sometimes we have to acknowledge that certain lives matter if they have been treated as if they did not matter. So then we have to, you know, you have to address that reality of, of how things have, have functioned. But we don't... We don't have to say, well, now all of a sudden black lives matter. Because they've always mattered to God. And again, back to the beginnings now, because of DNA, you see, you know, evolutionists believe for a long time, you know, in this spontaneous um, evolution around the world of these different races of humans. Again, if there's these different races of humans, we would expect that some would be better than others in that evolutionary sort of system. But because we are creating the image of God and have the same parents. Now, again, on this one, because of DNA, you know, there's been you know, updated understandings and now it's, well, most of us have the same common ancestors. Hmm. And from not all that long ago, that's the other interesting part of that. Hmm. And it's just interesting as as the DNA science gets better, it gets closer. It's not yet what the Bible says, but it gets closer to it. And we would expect as good science evolves, it will get closer to what the scripture tells us. And from our perspective, of course, that would make sense because we believe we have the first source of information, that it's 
God who created and then God who gave his word and told us what happened. So if you go back to the original source, you're going to get a better answer and a better result than people who are looking in the past and trying to figure out what had happened. What had happened was. That's our southern way of. That's your southern scientist saying what had happened was. <laughs> so anyway. Again. We don't have to change anything about the scripture to say who is valuable and who is not. We don't have to go. You know, there's so many groups that have to go back. Oh, now, you know, as they have social awareness, oh, oh now this group, these people are uh, uh, okay, allowed in the club. We don't have to do that. See, so we have the book of Genesis. And throughout the book of Genesis, we're going to see God's value for every family of the earth and his care and love for all the people groups of the earth. Back in Genesis, back in the original revealed word of God. There are so many other things to say this morning about this passage. And we'll carry over in the next week in Genesis chapter 2. But again, let us make humans in our image is just so critical to our understanding. And it gives us, that is, folks, that is our foundation for, for our morality, for our ethics. For, for it's the basic that basic value that is that is given that we we see the God given value in each one, and folks, that is regardless of ethnicity. That is regardless regardless of language. That is regardless of nation. That is regardless of socioeconomic standing that is regardless of ability in any particular area of life and that is regardless of age each one has value God given value in the sight of God and how much better off would we be If we follow the scripture, you know, the scripture says that, you know, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And how much better off would we be if we followed suit? If we followed that example. It starts here in Genesis. The scripture, I, I believe, has, you know, two primary objectives that work together. The first is to describe God, to tell us who God is, his character, his plan, like God's, who God is, God's character and God's plan. That's the first. And the second is, is to describe humans, to establish 
our value from God's perspective to tell us what we are like, the good and the bad. And to tell us how to be made right with God. That, that makes it a pretty important book. Folks, that makes it a pretty important book because it's telling us everything we need to know about God and everything we need to know about you know, us as humans is, you know, we, we have it in the, in the Word of God to form like, where we come from, where we are now, where we are going. And, and all issues pertaining how we are to approach God and how we are to treat one another. Those principles are given to us in the scripture. And they are given us to us in terms of truth and in terms of absolute right and wrong. In terms of absolute truth and lies. And a lot of people don't even like that way of thinking today. But that's the reality of what God has given us. And so you can you can deal with that reality... Or you can decide to ignore that reality and to try to make your own. But that's probably not going to end well. That's not going to end well. It's so wonderful that we have the ability to treat people based on what God on God's perspective of what God has given us instead of the you know, social ideas that come and go and change so quickly that we have a firm foundation. And that foundation instructs us to have great value from one another to one another because what we have in common because God created us is far greater than any differences that we have created or other differences that we have been given. And so may God help us to clearly understand that and again to have our foundation based on what God has said in his word. May God help us this morning. And, and you know, I really didn't get to speak nearly enough about just creation in general. I mean, it's just so amazing. It talks about the seeds. And, and just one little note there, just doing a little bit of woodworking with a piece of oak um, yesterday. And if they, you know, you go by a huge oak tree and you see these little acorns. And that little acorn can fall to the ground, go into the ground, and, you know, it's, it's, it's the seed is, is there, it, it germinates, and what's, you know, what that acorn needs to grow is in the soil and from the sunlight and can turn this little tiny, tiny acorn, can turn into this massive, massive tree that will produce, I don't even know how many acorns in its life, and provide shade and home for shelter for different animals and eventually, you know, and wood and 
you know, we can make fire out of and we can build our homes out of. I mean, it's really incredible. And I just encourage us to slow down a little bit sometimes as you're taking a walk or whatever and just observe and think about the grandeur of it all and what God has done and what God has given us. His, his blessings are rich towards us indeed. And so my God help us to appreciate his creation more and more and to be good stewards of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and for your goodness to us. And there's just so much more we could talk from Genesis chapter 1. But Lord, we're thankful for what you have um, revealed to us, what you have given us. We are thankful that we are not here by some random chance, that we are more than just a collection of atoms. But that you have given us purpose and value. And as we look into Genesis to see more and more what that purpose and value is, Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding and you would give us encouragement and you would help us to follow you fully and may your truth be made known. We again thank you so much for Jesus and as we take the bread and the cup this morning to remember all the sacrifice given to us, we give you great praise and great glory. In your name, Jesus, we pray.